0: you don't have a Bible, you can put your hand up and ask for a Bible. Uh, we love to preach from God's Word. It's the only authority we have as a church. We're not just here sharing motivational ideas from me. Uh, we, we believe that this is God's Word. It's, it's without error. It's authoritative. It's sufficient for all of life and godliness. Uh, And so if you'd like a Bible to read along with so you can track what we're doing, Psalm 13 is where we're at. You can put your hand up and David will get you a Bible. Otherwise, Psalm 13 is our final psalm that we're looking at in a four-part series on the psalms. We've been doing a series on lament. The series is called Discovering Lament. Uh, It's a new topic for me, to be honest, uh, and that's why I wanted to bring it as the pastor to this church, because I think it's an Unused prayer language in the modern church. It's something that I don't didn't know much about, but I found it uniquely helpful. Um, I even wrote out a prayer of lament for something happening in my own life this morning, and, and I found it it helped me um, so much. And I, I hope it's been a help to you. If you've missed the series, you can go back and listen to the sermons. Uh, they're online or in the bookshop. You can buy the book called uh, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. Written by, not me, a different person, a much smarter guy called Mark Roygep. Today is our last one. And this message is entitled Choose to Trust. And I'll be reading and preaching from Psalm 13. This is God's Word. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But... I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Let me pray. Our God and Father, may you bless the reading and the preaching and the applying of your holy word this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. The Christian life cannot be neatly summarised into a hallmark greeting card with a beautiful sunrise over a pristine beach with the words, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. These words at the end of this psalm are not the sweet reflection of a saint with a nice cup of hot chocolate dipping their toes into warm summer waters, and brimming with joy because of all the sweet blessings in their life. Instead, these words that end this psalm are words forged out of the fires of pain and trial. A blacksmith's bench is a more apt image than a beautiful beachside. As the hammer of the smith has crashed again and again upon his masterpiece, the contorted metal cries out, How long, O Lord, how long? And each new painful providence thunders through his soul and bends him out of shape into a new figure. And yet, the heart cry of this saint, David, who wrote this psalm, even under the hammer, is to trust in God again to love God again, to praise God again, to glorify God again, to sing to God again, even though blow after blow after blow has come upon him. In the 18th century in England, there was a famous hymn writer, William Cooper, who was brilliant, yet fundamentally broken by suffering and depression. He even spent time in an insane asylum with multiple suicide attempts. Such were his afflictions. And no matter how often his friend, the famous hymn writer John Newton, would visit him and comfort him, he found himself back in the deeps of darkness. Yet, he did not give up or give in. Instead, in the fight, in the pain, he wrestled his heart to trust God again, and again, and again. He wrote a hymn, a most famous hymn, and these lines of poetry so elegantly capture the reality to which we've been aiming this entire series on Lament. Its title originally was Conflict, Light Shining Out of Darkness, but we know it as God Moves in a Mysterious Way. Let me quote it to you. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take the clouds ye so much dread. Are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. This poetic song invites us to choose to trust God again. Even though heaven may seem to frown, hiding behind the clouds is a smiling face. These dark clouds, so heavy and large, we cower under. We fear that hell may fall upon us, or it is falling upon us. Instead, they are big with mercy and will break with blessings on our head. The taste of your life today may be bitter, but the promises of God is that the flower will blossom and will be sweet forever. Friends, I invite you, saints, seekers, doubters, as we end our journey of lament, to trust God again, whatever may come. For this is the end goal of our prayers of lament, to bring us back to that sweet place of trusting in God again. If you're a believer in Christ, the cry of your heart, the longing of your heart, even though you may not feel it right now, deep down because of the Holy Spirit is... You want to love God again. You want to trust God again. And that is where lament will lead you back into that sweet place. We've walked the path from turning to God in prayer, bringing our complaint, making our requests before God, and we end here, the final step, choosing to trust even if circumstances haven't changed. I want to ask you this morning, are you willing to trust God with the darkest clouds in your life? Are you willing to put your trust in Him again? Are you willing to move toward Him and hand your life to Him, whatever His will may be? Perhaps you're cautious. I get that. Perhaps you're timid. Perhaps you're full of doubt and uncertainty. My hope today is that through the preaching of God's Word, you will trust in Him again, or perhaps even today for the very first time. To do that, we're going to explore Psalm 13, mainly verses 5 through 6, and see how it helps us to trust Him again. We're going to look at how some of the practical realities of trusting actually works. And then I'm going to end with a story of trust, a real story from a saint, a man in our church, and his experience of trusting God, though the clouds were dark, and though the flower was or the sea the the, the bud was bitter and bearing many scars in the process. Uh, three points first point choosing to trust second point the practice of trust the third point a story of trust so let's have a look at point number one choosing to trust If you've been along here tracking with us over these messages, this this psalm should clearly teach you the four steps of lament we've been talking about. You would have noticed, I hope, if you've been here for all four, the four steps that are contained in Psalm 13, which really is um, a prayer of David and a model prayer for how to lament. This is how to do it. If if you're ever wondering, oh, what was that lament thing again? Turn back to Psalm 13. Psalm 13. We won't go through it in detail now, but if you look verses 1 and 2, you'll see step 1 and 2 combined. Turn to God and bring your complaint. He turns to God and he cries out with this complaint four times in desperation. "How How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? We, we, we run over these words so quickly, but this is a prayer of abandonment. He feels, he knows God hasn't abandoned him, but he feels as though God has. And so he laments, he, he brings a complaint and is, how long will you hide your face? How long will things go poorly for me? How long will my life seem to only end in dead ends or valleys and no mountaintop experiences? Then verses three to four, he boldly makes his requests. That's the third step in the the four steps of lament. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep, the sleep of death. So he asks God, consider me. You've been looking everywhere, it feels like. Look upon me. And you've been answering other people's prayers. Now answer mine. It's a bold request, isn't it? But we're invited to make bold requests because our God, as we've seen already in our singing time, is a God who invites us to the throne. You can come and make bold requests. He's God. He'll answer them how he pleases, but you can make the bold requests time and time again. And then in verse 5 to 6, we come to the crucial point, the end goal, the whole reason I taught this series on lament is this so that you can say with the psalmist, verse 5, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountifully with me. That contrast there, but, shows that the change, the circumstance hasn't changed, but his soul has He's choosing to do something against what it looks like is apparent around him. It's not like he went through the valley, he came to the top and went, okay, now I can sing again. He's pleading with his soul. Look at, they're all future oriented. Well, the first one, I have trusted, past, My heart shall rejoice. I will sing. So he's wrestling and trying to get his heart back into that sweet place of communion with God again. He chooses to trust. And that's the critical thing that you and I must do with all of our lament. We bring it before the throne so that there's no barrier between us and God, so we can be real with God again, so that we can trust Him no matter what. Let's have a look at those three phrases in just a little bit more detail so that when we're in the, the depths of lament, we can have a bit more data behind these three phrases in verse five to six that they can inform your prayers and and be theologically informed as you say them. So firstly, he says, I've trusted in your steadfast love. David here is choosing to trust in God's covenantal love. That phrase steadfast love is a translation of the Hebrew word hesed, which is used all throughout scripture as a word for covenantal love. That is love that is not Merely circumstantial or feelings-based or preferential, but promise-based. God made a promise to Abraham and his offspring that all who have faith in him, he will be their God. It started with Abraham, was passed down to Isaac and Jacob, his 12 sons, through to Moses. Then Joshua was outstretched even to the Canaanite Rahab and the Moabites Ruth. And eventually, through Ruth, down to King David as a recipient of God's covenantal love through generation to generation. And David chooses to trust in that promise. And now we follow in the stead of David, choosing to trust again in God's covenantal love displayed to us through Christ Jesus. Though we are not in the old covenant, we're in the new covenant. And the new covenant was established not through the the law and Moses on the Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, but on the Mount of Golgotha. And on this mountain, it gives us even greater reason to trust God in the midst of our trials. Because on 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 the Mount of Sinai, when the Ten Commandments were given, God displayed himself in holiness and righteousness and thunder. The people cowered and they feared. But on the Mount of Golgotha, where Jesus Christ shed his blood to make a new way for any who have faith in him to come to him, we see God's love on perfect display. So when we sing, "I, My heart, I have trusted in your steadfast love, your covenantal love, We're choosing to trust in what took place on that cross 2,000 years ago. We're saying, You've proven your love to me through dying in my place. You've done the ultimate act of divine love. Therefore, even though it looks like my life has gone to ruin, I'm going to trust that. Because that's sure. That's unchanging. That's objective. That will never move. Nothing could be better. Nothing could be greater. I'm trusting in your steadfast love, which you showed to me upon that cross. 1 John 4, 9 to 10 says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. That's spiritual, eternal life. In this is love. Not that we have loved God that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We can know that none of the dark clouds in our life are because God is angry with us and punishing us, because God poured out his wrath upon Christ on the cross. So any trial that comes in your life is the act of a loving father disciplining his children, forging them in the smith, It may hurt, it may be painful, but it's not punishment. And so you can trust Him in His love. You can trust Him because He wore a crown of thorns. You can trust Him because He bore your sin. You can trust Him because He was abandoned for you. You can trust Him because He's made a covenant with you and He will never break it. So you can trust and you can say these words with David. I have trusted in your steadfast love. And ultimately, you say that through Jesus Christ. Make it your prayer. I trust in your steadfast love. I know you love me because you did it on the cross. Secondly, he says, My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. My heart shall rejoice. He, he's looking forward to salvation. He, it hasn't happened yet. So we cannot promise that the valley you are in will be finished through faith today. We don't. The good news of Christianity is not that all the hard things in your life will go away, that the clouds will pull back in this life. That's not the good news we have on offer. The good news we have on offer is that one day, the saviour will come. One day salvation will come. One day the tears will be wiped away. One day this world will be made anew. Mark Roygop in his book says, choosing to trust through lament requires that we rejoice now without knowing how all the dots connect. We decide to let God be his own interpreter, trusting that somehow his gracious plan is being worked out even if we can't see it. He says, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. He's believing that salvation will come, but the dots aren't making the picture that he hopes, but he's going to trust anyway. And that's what you have to do, friends. You have to trust that somehow, through it all, God will rescue you and deliver you. And it may not be in this life. It may be in the one to come. And this is exactly how the New Testament calls God's people to process our trials and pains. We saw when we preached through 1 Peter that the Apostle Peter said this, 1 Peter 4, 12, 13, 19, and chapter 5, verse 10, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory or His salvation is revealed. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory, see the future, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. These are promises from God to you that you can bank your life on. Even if the circumstance never changes, the darkness never lifts, the sickness is never cured, the dead are never raised, the financial prosperity never comes, you can bank your life that one day salvation will come and the God of mercies will comfort you. He will restore you. He will do what he has promised. So you can say, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation as if it's happened, even though it hasn't. It's that certain. (laughs) That's so good. And the third thing he says is, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. The same man who said, how long, how long, how long, how long, how long, also says, you've dealt bountifully with me. He makes a commitment to not completely focus on the darkness, but to see all of God's grace. And he makes a commitment that he will sing, because God's grace is greater than the darkness of his trials. He looks backward to all that God has done for him in the past, all the evidences of God's grace, and makes a pledge to his own soul to sing. Isn't it intriguing that David would sing? He's hurting. We sing normally when we're happy. We sing when we've triumphed. We sing when we're celebrated. We sing when your team wins. We sing when it's your birthday. But here, David's choosing to position his soul to sing because of who God is. Therefore, he always has a reason to sing. His heart has been tuned by suffering to turn to God in song. See, true faith the faith that David has, the faith that you have by the Holy Spirit, if you've trusted in Christ, is not just a cognitive belief that God is a Savior. We know He saves. That's true. Doctrine believed. True faith looks to God Himself as a person. Trusts in Him, not an it. trusting in Him, not an idea loves Him, adores Him, wants Him. And therefore, true faith must ultimately find its home in praising God again, because He's worthy of it. If you truly know God, at eventually through the darkness, you will find yourself craving to sing to Him and worship Him and adore Him, because it's Him. It's Him. Do you know Him? If you know Him, then you'll want to sing eventually. You may not want to sing songs like, oh, happy day. You might want to sing songs like, how long, O Lord, or some of the lament songs that we've pulled out, like, Lord, from sorrows deep I call when my hope is shaken, torn and ruined from the fall, hear my desperation. For so long I've pled and prayed, God, come to my rescue. Even so, the thorn remains. Still, my heart will praise you. That's why we've introduced songs like this, so that when the darkness is there, you can recognize the darkness and turn it into song. Paul, St. Paul said, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, having nothing, yet possessing everything. So friends, I commend to you this line. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. You can always look back to the cross to see the bounty of his goodness to you. So verses five to six, complete the lament prayer, choosing to trust God again, no matter what. We can say, I've trusted in your steadfast love. We can wrestle our soul to say, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. And we can make a commitment. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. The end goal of our lament is to trust God no matter what. The end goal of these laments is that you and I would trust God and choose to trust him no matter what. Are you choosing to trust God? in your sorrow, in your darkness, in your pain? Or as you deal with someone else who you love, who's in their darkness, in their sorrow and in their pain, have you turned your soul back to God again? We don't want to just end our time of lament just complaining or just making requests. That's not what the soul wants. Your soul longs for God again. And so don't stop short. And don't let your friends and family stop short. Don't try and make them get there immediately. And we'll talk about this in a minute. But they want Him because they have the Holy Spirit. And so take them there. So that's point number one, choosing to trust. Point number two, the practice of trust. What does it look like in real life to to put these into practice when you're in the, the blacksmith and the hammer is upon you and the heat is upon you and it doesn't feel like you want to? I want to talk a number of things about what choosing to trust does not mean. So the practice of trust, what choosing to trust, what does it not mean? Choosing to trust God does not mean that everything is okay and I'm all better. You don't have to have everything go better in your life to say these lines. And you don't have to pretend like everything's okay. It's not a false, you're not, being, you're not lying if you say, I trust in God. I love God. He's so good and yet I hate my life. Those two things in Christianity can coexist. And so by you saying these lines, it's not like you're lying by saying, I've trusted in God. You're actually giving your soul, you're turning your soul to what it really wants. And so you don't have to feel like, if I say these things, well, then everything's okay and I'm all better. No, it doesn't have to be. You say it in the darkness. Choosing to trust does not mean that you don't need to get professional help or assistance. It must be said, there are times when we need help. Mental health, psychiatry, therapy, structured counseling, medication, hospital. Choosing to trust God doesn't mean that you let go and go, well, I'll just leave it in God's hands and hopefully everything will just get better. It doesn't mean that you don't need biblical help and counseling from a friend. It doesn't mean that you don't need to fix things in your life. It doesn't mean you don't need to address issues. Choosing to trust takes it all, puts it in God's hands and then takes the means which God has given us and avails ourselves of those means. So if you need help, please go and get help. I think as reformed, sovereign grace Christians, we might have a tendency just to think, well, if I really believe in God's sovereignty, I, don't, I shouldn't need to go and get help. I, it should, he'll just, it'll work out. It's like, no, that's not, the point of our doctrines as a, as a church that believes in God's sovereign grace is that we are weak, we are fallen, we are broken, we are depraved. We're not yet fully sanctified and complete. That's the whole reason we celebrate in Jesus, so go and get help. And you're not surprising anyone when you go and get help because everyone else can see it. (laughs) So go and get it. That's what I want to say. Choosing to trust does not mean that you have to say, it's good what happened to me. You don't have to say it was good that that happened. Evil is evil. Sin is sin. Death is an enemy. We don't have to say these things are good. They are not good. And so don't feel like choosing to trust God and and giving it to God and loving God again means that you somehow have to think that that abuse or that pain or that death is good. No, we can stand against it. That's the whole complaint is this is not good. This is not right. Choosing to trust does not mean that you'll never feel down, depressed or distraught about this again. Laments are not one and done. You can keep lamenting. You can keep bringing up the same laments. You can keep crying out the same cries. There's a reason why a third to half of all the psalms are lament psalms. If we only needed one lament psalm, it'd be Psalm 13. It'd be there. That'd be it. And the rest would be praise psalms. But the reality is that the people of God need about a third to a half of all their songs to be laments. So you'll probably feel bad again. You might pray this prayer for 15 seconds. Trusting in God and choosing to trust Him. And then 15 seconds later, be full of doubt and despair again. That's okay. It's it's not going to solve it right then and there. It's a journey. It's a process. But God's grace is that in that moment, isn't that God's grace that you trusted in Him right then for those three seconds? As a church, choosing to trust does not mean that once someone's reached this point, oh good, They don't need continued follow-up and support. They're done. Look, they said the prayer, they praise God, and they seem to be good again. Let's move on. No, that's, that's not how it works. Our call as brothers and sisters, and if you're a member of this church in particular, this is why we take membership seriously, is that we're committing to walking this out for the long haul to weep with those who weep. So let's not rush people to here. Let's not hurry them along, and let's not make them hide what's really going on. But be patient and loving as people walk the long path of lament from pain to trust. Finally, choosing to trust does not mean that nothing bad will happen to you again. It's not like God was just waiting for you to trust Him and then, haha, prosperity will now come. No, the reality is is that we live in a fallen, broken, hostile world and that there will always be, you know, to quote Shakespeare, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune in this life. Even we see a glimpse of this in heaven. I want to read to you. This has been on my heart this entire series. I don't know where to put it. I did speak it on the first message, but Revelation 6, 9 to 11, I think just will help us. So we're in the heavenly realms. There's all these seals on these scrolls that need to get open. And as each one gets open, and a new thing happens. And we get to the fifth seal in Revelation 6. And this is what happens. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God. So these are martyrs. They've been killed because they believed in Christ and stuck true to God's word. Verse 10, they cried out with a loud voice, so they're lamenting, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? See that prayer, Psalm 13? How long, how long will you, when will you take down the enemies? When will you bring justice? People killed your precious children. Will you bring justice? And then look at verse 11, though. Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Tells the martyrs, rest a little longer. More blood must be shed yet. Rest a little longer. More pastors must be killed. More families must be imprisoned. More churches must be blown up. You see, God, our sovereign Lord who rules the universe, somehow in his sovereign and eternal will, has so decreed that the way his kingdom will go forward is not through triumph after triumph, but through the blood of the martyrs. Therefore, if we're waiting for the end of the earth, we will wait upon the blood of each and every martyr. And therefore, in this life, there will never be a time where you will be protected from suffering, pain, or death. Choosing to trust God does not mean that you will escape the worst of the worst rest a little longer and trust my plan he says to the martyrs so what does choosing to trust mean then with all those caveats I want to say two things choosing to trust does mean that you will need God's grace every step of the way The way to get through the hardest times of our life is not through grit and determination, ultimately. It's not your power that will get you through. It's his provision. You don't have to get it all together. You don't have to be the super saint that somehow, though everything goes wrong in your life, you're at the front raising your hands singing again. That's not how Christianity works. We do it only by the power that God gives us. And so if the only way you can get through times of lament and suffering and get, walk along the path is by choosing to trust God, to give you the power to trust God. Paul had a time in his life when God was heavy upon him. And we pick up the story in 2 Corinthians 12. He had this thorn in his side. We don't know exactly what it is. But this is Paul's, an example of Paul lamenting, verse 8, 2 Corinthians 12. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So friends, trusting, choosing to trust means you get the power from God to get through the pain and troubles. To bear it well. Because in your weakness, as you're under His thumb, that's actually when you are strong. So if you feel like, I just, I can't do another day. I don't know if I can believe again. I don't know if I can trust this God again. Ask again for power. So Lord, I feel weak. Would you, would you magnify your greatness through my weakness? I've got nothing to offer. Would you help me through the pain? The author of the book that we've been going through, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, when they went through multiple, multiple sufferings, they, their friends emailed John Piper, if you know who that is, a famous pastor, theologian, author. And they said, look, this guy loves your writing and your teaching, your preaching. Could you send him a word of encouragement? And John Piper took that email, even though somehow he gets hundreds of them, he found this one and replied and emailed Mark Royge and said this to him. Amongst other things, this was the one thing that stood up. Trust in the one Who keeps you trusting that's it (laughs) that's the Christian life trust in the one who keeps you trusting the only way you can keep trusting is if the one who you trust in keeps you trusting and so keep coming back to him and say help me to trust you I'm trusting you to help me trust you that's the the cycle we live in as Christians never getting to a place where we go I've got this as soon as you say that, you should repent and cower back down and say, God, I don't got this. I'm sorry. I can't believe I even thought that. That's how the Christian life works. The final thing I want to say about choosing to trust God practically, and I think this is actually the most practical thing. Choosing to trust God means that you need more of God not less, to get through your pain. You need more of God, not less, in the worst times of your life. The most practical thing ultimately for you is God himself. Come to God again. Love God again. Plead with God again. Go to God again. He alone in his majesty and his glory and his character and his beauty and his love is what you actually need. Your soul will want to run. Satan will tell you to flee. The world will say there's better ways, but what you actually need is more God. And so get people around you and say, I don't want God, but help me to want God again. Wrestle with your soul. Say, I don't want God, but I want you. Help me to want you again. Read deeply of who God is so that you know of his sovereign character, so that you can trust in his eternal plan. Knowing all the stories of scripture will help you, not harm you. Knowing more that God takes suffering servants like Job into the whirlwind and brings them out again will help you. And so I just want to end on this practical point saying, get more God. That's the end point of lament, is that you get more God again. So that's a lot of like higgledy-piggledy things under the practice of trust. But I I just, as we put the the series together, I want to say all those various things. And I want to tell you a story to tie it all together. And that's point number three, a story of trust uh, i want to tell you the story of my friend murray beady um, murray is a man that has gone through a lot of suffering and experienced a lot of death even though he he doesn't have much hair he's not that old he's only just in his 40s where is muz there he is there yeah. um, but unfortunately the way that god has planned his life is that he's had to encounter a lot of hard things and so i reached out to murray and leanne just to write some reflections on what it was like to trust God in the midst of grief and pain. And what Murray wrote was so good that I just wanted to quote it in full. Uh, And so this is Murray's story, and I trust that it will encourage you. He said this, I think the human experience is like a fabric, weaving together our past, present, and future. We all wear garments crafted from threads of memory, knowledge, faith and hope. Garments that clothe our feeble frames and continue to become ever more intricate and unique as years roll on. Some are light, smooth and delicate. Some may be heavy and rough but durable. Whatever strands are woven into the fabric of our lives though are our own and we each become more accustomed and comfortable with the fit feel, and texture of the experience we wear as we grow older. Then, the pain of lost tears a hole in your favourite shirt. I was 30 years old when I truly experienced grief as an affliction, and to recall it still aches my soul. Although I'd lost people in my youth, and there's no doubt that the sting of missing a grandparent or family friend is real, Those sorrows and the numbness they caused felt like only a small proportion of the scar left by my anguish as an adult. Milo was born eight weeks early on the 7th of December 2010 by emergency C-section. Leanne had been suffering several complications due to an underlying condition and the doctors, concerned for her life and the life of the baby, made the call to rush her into surgery under general anaesthetic. I was compelled to wait outside the room until tiny Milo was safely removed and given to me to take directly to the NICU with a nurse, while Lee was moved to intensive care for further treatment and recovery. It was a long and anxious day until I was finally allowed to see her half-conscious, and space, spaced out, rigged to cables and tubes, and Milo was brought to her bedside briefly. I was exhausted by the evening, and I slept poorly on a friend's sofa nearby that night and returned early the next morning to wait on her recovery and Milo's progress. Sitting outside the ICU, the phone rang. Pete's been in an accident. He was hit by a car on his run to work this morning. Not sure of the details, but he's gone in an ambulance and your sister has followed to be there with him. We will let you know when we hear more. Pete had been my best mate since high school and best man at our wedding. Across 18 years, we'd shared some of the most memorable adventures of our young lives in step with each other and laughed the loudest together along the way. He was my brother in all the sense of the term, besides genetics. It was already hard enough for me to keep focused given the recent onslaught of events, and I hadn't even had the chance yet to update him or anybody much on the unexpected arrival of Milo or the current state of my wife, I sat down on the lawn out front of the hospital to gather my thoughts, hoping he wasn't too badly injured and also hoping I could go back in to see Leanne soon. Lindsay, my sister, called soon after. Here at the hospital, Pete is not okay. I'm really sorry, Murray. He's gone. What? I stared at the grass and the earth stopped spinning, cold and still and monochrome for a complete minute. Nothing made any sense and my body froze over. I have no memory of anything more, my sister said afterwards. There's still nothing beyond the sound of a rasping wail that rose from my chest and permeated my brain. The smell of grass as my face pressed into the ground and the feeling in that instant of being utterly alone. And helpless. My wife was still waking up in ICU. My baby son was isolated in a plastic box. My parents were in a different state. And my sister was in another hospital across town looking over the body of a dear friend that I would never see again. Every memory that accompanied every moment I shared with him was now only mine. And nobody else could ever understand what had been taken. He would never know me as a father and my childhood would be buried with him. The tides of grief flowed in and out for days, weeks, months. A a driver falling asleep at the wheel had taken my best friend, and a piece of me was lost. It hurt so much then, and it still hurts now. A terrible, visceral experience that left me hollowed. I wasn't alone, though. And I wasn't helpless. In the space of a day, my life had been driven wildly off course. And I'd crashed spectacularly into adulthood. But I got out and started walking. I didn't dig deep down and discover some inner strength or carefully compartmentalise all my emotions and move on quickly. It was an awful mess and I was broken but I was broken enough to be put back together again differently by the hand of a father who knew my pain. I had absolutely nothing left in me that week to support my recovering wife, my struggling newborn, or the stricken family friends of Peter. And I don't remember having the strength to step up and tackle all those things because I still don't believe that strength came from me. It was surely God who took my tears and all the fratted shagma- uh, shattered fragments that I'd laid out in despair, he gathered people around me and built up in me a new determination to trust him and keep walking even at my weakest. Experiences like these will always change the way we intended to wear our personal garments. There will always be things that snag, stretch, and unravel the fabric that we've become so accustomed to, keeping us warm. Lee and I have faced many other traumas over the years following Milo's arrival and Peter's passing too. We've suffered miscarriages, seen marriages break down, lost other close friends to cancer and heart attack at a young age and endured some chronic health issues of our own. It's devastating every time and it doesn't often get easier. Time doesn't heal all wounds. And some scars will remain regardless of how much we want to hide them. There's more wounds to come too, I know. And there will be more scars to follow to show for it. I don't look forward to it, but I'm okay with that. The thing about grieving and giving it to God is that it ultimately reveals the way that He uses our pain to refine us. And the scars remind us of what we've overcome when we keep leaning into him. Grief is not something to move on from. It's something to build upon. And I hope when my journey ends, (laughs) all my scars will show how much I've trusted him. I believe they will, brother. (laughs) I wonder what type of garment you're wearing this morning. What holes may be in it, or maybe it's light and airy and you haven't yet come under the hammer. What groanings and grief has God woven into your life for you to build upon rather than move on from? What scars are you marked with that show that you still trust him no matter You see, the way God has so ordained our life is that he uses all of these things to bring us to him again. And so your suffering, your pain, your trials are an invitation from God to trust him again. And the scars at the end of your days will prove by the grace of God that you did. And so, friend, as you walk through the journey of lament, and as you walk through the pain and the sorrows, I invite you, with Murray, to trust him again and yet again. Lament is, according to the author, a language for loss, a solution for silence, a category for complaints, a framework for feelings, a process for our pain. And finally, lament is a way to worship. It's a way to turn to God, to bring our complaints, to make our requests and to trust in Him again. And so friends, I invite you, trust in Him. Choose to trust in Him and Encourage those around you to trust in him no matter what. As David said, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. Let me pray for us as we sing our final song. Almighty God, we come before you recognizing that we don't have the strength to trust you and we ask for the grace to do it. If there's anyone here, Lord, that isn't trusting in you, would you, in your mercy, turn them to you even now? I trust now, Lord, that you can turn their hearts to you again. If there's anyone here that's not yet a follower of you, perhaps because of the pain that you've brought in their life, would you give them the faith to trust you? And look upon your Son Jesus Christ as their Savior and to trust in Him, knowing that He works all things together for good in the end. And Lord, I pray and ask that as a church we will weep with those who weep and that we as a people will choose to trust and that you would give us a song so that we, no matter what, will sing to you because you have dealt bountifully with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.